I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? I'm joined by former Celtics blogger, now full-time journalist. He's, uh, he's living the dream, worked his way up from the ground up, um, working over at the Brockton Ledger, is it? Brockton Enterprise Patriot, Quincy Patriot Ledger. They're, they're owned by the same company. And as you know, this is Greg Dudek. I'm sure you've read his work on Celtics blog leading up to the last few weeks where he went full-time. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Adam. How about yourself? Uh, as we spoke about out there, my day has been a little bit crazier than what I would have liked it to be. But all in all, uh, I can't complain. I'm alive. I'm breathing. There's going to be Celtics basketball. That, that's the most important thing, right? You're alive, breathing, Celtics basketball. The three three big uh, things right there. I'm not sure if they're in the right order, but they're definitely <laughs> pretty most important. <laughs> Let's just uh, jump in. So news, on, news that's floating around at the minute is we're most likely going to see Marcus Smart in this game. How do you like? Have you interacted with Marcus? You've been on some of the Zoom calls. How do you think his return to the team is going to impact their play on the defensive end? Uh, I was on the the Zoom call. So yesterday was the first day the Celtics had media availability since uh, their last game on Thursday before the All Star break against the Raptors. And Marcus seemed seemed in good spirits. He was just kind of his typical Marcus self. He put it out there like within the first minute of his press conference that. He was most likely going to play. Uh, and it was funny because after him, Brad Stevens had his media availability. And Stevens tried to walk it back a little bit. But there's no kind of containing Marcus Smart when he wants to get on the floor, right? So uh, he, he seems, you know, roaring and re- ready to go. He, he talked about really bringing the intensity and having his teammates not have to play like him, but just match his intensity level on the court, which – Obviously, I think we saw a lack of when he was sidelined for 18 games due to his uh, calf tear that the team kind of lacked. I always kind of wrote about a, a few times just some uninspiring play for them, not giving the effort. And that's what Marcus really kind of honed in on yesterday in, in his press conference is trying to get these guys to play with you know energy and, and effort consistently at all times, especially defensively where – They've been really kind of below average in uh, this season on the defensive end. I think they're 16th in, in defensive rating in the NBA going against the Brooklyn Nets uh, tonight, which is well below a, a Brad Stevens group. So Marcus, obviously one of the most highly touted defensive players in, in the NBA, should really help with their perimeter defense, can really guard all, all five positions, really should, should give the defense a, a big boost going to the second half of the season. And the term emotional leader gets thrown around. I think personally it gets thrown around too much. There's not <laughs> many legitimate emotional leaders in the league. Uh, I think when I think emotional leaders, I think Marcus Smart, Patrick Beverly, Draymond Green, and I kind of start to really struggle for four and five at that point. How much do you think, you said you, he wants the guys to match his intensity, being on the floor and watching Marcus Smart and having him chew you out when you miss rotations, They've definitely missed that, right? I mean, it's no coincidence. I mean, their defense wasn't great with Marcus in the team. I want to kind of manage expectations there. They still struggled defensively. They still dropped games against teams that they should have been beating. New York comes to mind uh, first and foremost. But at the same time, there's a certain level of 
performance that Marcus Smart expects from everybody on the floor with him. And he's the guy who's going to be most vocal when that level of performance hasn't been met. Do you think that, one, they're going to raise their defensive intensity because Marcus is back? And two, do you think Tristan Thompson has kind of been a letdown in that aspect considering he spoke so much about holding everybody accountable himself? Yeah, you mentioned a great point. They really have not been great defensively, even when, when Smart was, you know, playing the, the first half of this first 36 game. So, you know, hopefully they, they can get kind of back on track with him. And, and you're right, he's going to be the guy who, who chews other players out, his teammates out for, you know, missing rotations or not getting back on defense, which has been a bad habit the Celtics have gone into uh, this season. And I think that's something, you know, he's super comfortable with. And I don't think that Jalen or, or Jason, that's a role, even though they're emerging as the team's leaders. You know, they're obviously the, the team's two best players. They're not comfortable in, in that really leadership role. And Tristan, yeah, that's something Tristan talked about a, a ton this season, about holding guys accountable, especially when they were, you know, losing 8 out of 11 and losing to some of the dregs of the league that, they really should have been, you know, beating fairly easily. And, yeah, I, th I think he has been you know, a little bit of a, a disappointment in that sense. But they, they have been able to turn around. I think that four-game winning streak to end uh, the first half of the season really changes the complexion of how you think of this team right now because it was really kind of like a sky-is-falling moment after they blew that lead to – uh, the Pelicans and Luca hits that game winning shot against them. Everyone was kind of, uh, you know, wondering what, what needs to change with this team. And Tristan kind of talked about how, you know, everyone's going to give the Celtics their best shot because they're the Celtics. And that's how, you know, it was when he was in Cleveland. And it, it felt like there was a little bit of a change, but uh, not, not a drastic one. That has been my biggest gripe with Tristan Thompson, to be quite honest with you. Like, I was never upset that his defense, like on the floor, wasn't what we expected because I understood that he come back. He was coming back from injury. It's a whole new system. It's a bit more complex than probably what just running a drop scheme with the occasional switch he had in Cleveland. It was the the vocal leadership that he, in my opinion, he was bought in to be one of these veteran leaders and be that guy that when Marcus Smart isn't on the floor. Uh, whether it be due to two techs, punching a window, doing whatever Marcus Smart does to not be in a game, that Tristan Thompson could step up and kind of step into that role quite easily. So without Smart in the team, not seeing Thompson be that leader, to me then makes me question why he's earning the money he is and where his actual value is coming into this at the moment. I'm not going to like pick on him too much. I do think that he's going to provide more in the playoffs than what you'll see in the regular season. I definitely think he's a pickup that helps in the playoffs more than the regular season, um, just because I'm expecting him to raise his intensity. He definitely yeah. has played played better as of late, too. Like, he got off to a really tough start, and I think it, it was well-known just, like, how much of a, a layoff he had because, obviously, the Cavs didn't play in the bubble uh, in the summer, so he had such a long stretch off. And he's come on as of late, but you can tell that, when it's crunch time, fourth quarter, he's not on the floor, and that's for obvious reasons of not providing, you know, spacing offensively and, and getting caught in pick and rolls and, and things like that. 
but he definitely has played played better as lately, you know, averaging close to a double-double, I want to say, in his last 10, 10 or so games. So he's, he's definitely picked it up, and that's something the Celtics definitely needed uh, to kind of turn things around a little bit here. Honestly, do you consider him an upgrade over Ennis Kanter? That's a great question because obviously that he's, he's the Ennis Kanter filler, right? And I would probably say marginally, not not something that really stands out, though, because Ennis was great offensive rebounder, just like Tristan is. And they, they both, I would say Cantor was is probably better offensively than, than Tristan. And Cantor w- was okay, and that might be might even be a stretch defensively because he was just so bad in pick and rolls. Once once Cantor got on the floor, it's like the opposing team was like, okay, let's set a high high screen, put Cantor in the high screen, and then just attack off the dribble. And Cantor had no clue what to do. So I think Thompson is like a marginal upgrade. It's not something that, that moves the needle, though. It's not something that takes you from – you know, in Eastern Conference Finals to uh, to an NBA Finals. So this was my thought, and I agree. I think it is a marginal upgrade. I think that Ennis Cantor converts offensive rebounds at a much more um, a, pre, a, a better rate, a, a much more aesthetically pleasing rate. I think his offensive versatility was a bit better than Tristan Thompson's as well. Defensively, I agree. Like Ennis Cantor's a human sieve. You've got him, <laughs> he's just letting points up. But what I, would I think if you put Tice next to Ennis Cantor, and then yeah, that's not something that's not something we saw a lot last year, right? Yeah, this is what, why I'm kind of questioning if you've got Tice to rotate over and kind of kill any dribble dribble penetration off the pick and roll. Does Cantor then become more viable? And I'm just throwing this around because Cantor was on a lower deal. I think that Portland and their style of play and Ennis Cantor have proven that they fit really well. He took him to help take him to a Western Conference Finals two years ago. Um, was it two? Yeah, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then he's putting up really good numbers with them again now. And the only reason I ask is because there's been a lot of scuttlebutt around um, Nikola Vucevic and how much he could improve the team. And I find myself saying, like, so we've marginally upgraded from Ennis Kanter for almost double the money, and now we're trying to upgrade from Christian Thompson for more than double the money again. And the issues they're finding at centre at the moment are really really perplexing to me when you've already got Robert Williams, you've already got Daniel Tice. Do they maybe have one too many bigs in this rotation and that's where their problems are coming from? Uh, should they have tried to get someone like Xavier Tillman? that's a more modernized big that would have been cost-controlled. This whole center rotation, to me, is um, really perplexing at the moment. Yeah, it's definitely is like too many centers in the kitchen right now for the Celtics because everyone's clamoring for Robert Williams to get more playing time, which I think is justified. I mean, 20 minutes, the guy is just, just going off as a big who can rim roll and – and kind of helps space the floor, and obviously his defensive presence. He's probably the best defensively out of Tice Thompson himself. Um, Tice Tice is a, a is a weird kind of player to analyze because the Celtics certainly love him, and and he is productive. I I don't really love him to space the floor because even though he has gotten better as a three point shooter, I don't think anybody respects him to hit that shot. I can't, I can't remember what game it was. 
it was a game they, they lost at, at the Garden during their streak. But I think Tatum, Tatum drove, and they had Tice open for, for three with under a minute left to tie the game, like wide open, no one within 10 feet of him, and he bricked it. And that's where I think Vucevic could, you know, provide such a big upgrade for the team where they can then, like, play five out, really space the floor with, with him, Smart, Kemba, Tam Brown on the floor, and that will open up so many more opportunities for Tatum and Brown to drive. Um, but the the center conundrum is is a big thing. It seems like Brad is finally trusting Robert Williams a little bit more, where he's playing them now in, in crunch time, and you're seeing Rob starting to you know not just jump all over the place defensively, which he's still prone to do, but. Um, that, that's something that, that Brad has trusted, uh, Robert Williams a little bit more on. And it's definitely something that you have to keep an eye on going forward of is Robert Williams going to get more minutes here. Brad said they're still a little concerned about the hip, which is concerning because he's, he's so young and he's having hip issues and he can't play 30 minutes a night. Because his best case, I feel like, is, is he's a Clint Capella type, right? Where he can, you know, do all these alley-oops and just hustle and, um, you know, really kind of change a, a complexion of a game just like that. I really think that Rob Williams is going to be um, one of the more realistic pieces to remain with this team as they continue to improve. Um, I think Brad's starting to realize that too. Brad did note, mention recently... Um, not sure if you remember that he doesn't consider Robert Williams to be a 30 minute a night guy and doesn't see him projecting as that. And part of that's probably down to health. We know that he's had multiple injuries on the hip. Um, you want to try and like limit that, that exposure as much as possible. But that big man rotation to me is um, it's a funny story, right? Because I don't know if you ever read it, but uh, about three months ago, Zach Lowe wrote a piece that if you don't have one of the five, um, transcendent big men in the league then you have to go by committee it's the only way you can realistically win but your committee still needs to be good you you know you've got a limited Christian Thompson you've got Daniel Tice who's great but can get exposed in the playoffs against um supreme level talent you know your Bam Adebayo's your Jokic everybody's going to get exposed there it's not really a knock on him and then you've got Robert Williams that who's this huge X factor that you just don't know how long he can stay healthy for a season four because he just hasn't shown enough over the course of a, a full season to really feel confident about him as being your primary big man. And, and having bigs is is super important for the Celtics. Not off, not really too much offensively, but defensively to see who they're going to match up with in the playoffs because it's going to be Embiid who seems like he just tortures the Celtics every time he goes up against them now. It's going to be it's going to be Giannis. It's going to be these bigs that these other teams rely on. And like you said, Celtics kind of go by a committee approach. And I think that's the thing that I have the feeling with Tice is he's a good regular season player. But when you need to go to another level in, in the playoffs, he can't match the levels of those, you know, Embiid and Giannis and slow them down enough. Another X factor that everybody's been discussing, me mostly, I think I've been pushing this narrative more than anybody on earth, is um, Romeo Langford coming back and what he could bring to the team in terms of penetration, uh, maybe some secondary point of attack defense, and hopefully a little bit of playmaking and ball handling too. 
how comfortable do you feel about Romeo coming back? Do you think he's going to make any difference at all, or is he just going to be another young guy on the bench that struggles to impact the game? I don't want to give up on Romeo just a year and a half into his NBA career, but I, I, I just don't see him providing much. I mean, I wasn't impressed with his 32 games he played as a rookie. Um, I think, like, like you said, there's – if he can become like a slasher, because he definitely isn't a shooter, he's like the opposite of Aaron Neesmith. Like he needs to attack the basket, which is probably something that the Celtics need. Um, I just don't know if he can do it regularly. And then how does Brad get him minutes now? It's like who's who are you going to sacrifice minutes for? Where you have all these kind of rookie second year players on the bench. We've already seen Aaron Neesmith. He got playing time for about one or two weeks, and now he hasn't played, like, in the last three games. I just don't know how they're going to be able to get him consistent minutes when he's when he comes back. And then I'm not certain he's going to be able to provide much. I'm not – I'm definitely not on the Romeo Langford bandwagon. Maybe you can convince me uh, to jump on a little bit. Uh, I just don't think he he has maybe that, that elite tool – to, to make an impact. I, I would feel better if he if he could shoot better. His shot seems like it needs a lot of work, and he had the, the thumb injury coming out of college. And, and I, I don't know, he just doesn't, you know, feel like he can he can make an impact. I feel actually a little bit better about Aaron Neesmith than I do about him because Neesmith can, can shoot the ball, obviously. That's what he was touted for coming out of college. Langford, I think if Celtics fans are, are putting their chips on Romeo Langford to come in and be kind of that, like, deadline acquisition, that's not obviously a, a deadline acquisition. That That's a massive risk. Uh, and if you think that he's going to give the Celtics some sort of bench upgrade, which which they need, and, and scoring, you know, I, I don't really see, see him doing that. So just in my defense, because I'm the one pushing this more than anybody, <laughs> Um, hey, I'm, someone needs to someone needs to defend Romeo Langford. <laughs> My biggest thing has been pushing for him to have a position change and be rebuilt as a point guard, um, simply because of his size. I think his size and his um, defensive ability. If he was coming off the bench as a one and being asked to just be a slashing guard, um, even at two, even at the two, one and two, like a combo. Um, have a bit more ball handling, uh, be asked to slash, and then he still needs to figure out how to score against NBA-sized opposition. And that was really evident in his uh, last game, his 32 games last year. But if he can drive and dish and really start to cause rotations that way, then I think you can find value in him. More value than you're going to get from Jeff Teague. That's all I'm going to say there. I think that if you put the ball in Romeo's hands instead of Jeff Teague's hands, better things will probably happen. Um, I don't. Th I think if you put the ball in mine or your hands instead of Jeff Teague's, there's going to be a very similar outcome to what we're going to have with Jeff Teague. That, but that's um, I'm just low on Jeff. Um, yeah, I, I think everyone's low. I, I'm pretty sure I was I was tweeting out a few times during you know the latest run. He has Teague has played you know better. Like granted, it's like three games and he scored like 14 points in two of them, so it's not like the biggest impact. But I'm pretty sure Jeff forgot how to play basketball for like a solid month because he was just. He was just god awful. He was he was such a bad signing that it was infuriating whenever he got on the floor. Do you know the one signing I really wanted, and to this day I'm still moaning about it, was I really wanted them to pick up Derek Favors. That was the one guy I was like, if you're going to make a run at anybody in this free agency class, that's a realistic pickup that will most likely be on the move. Then you want Derek Favors. Um, 
never worked out because they were too busy, obviously, uh, dealing with the Gordon Hayward issues and Favors was one of the first guys off the market. But um, that was the guy I really, really wanted. And then, you know, if you drag, then you've, you've got more room to put Pritchard in. You've got maybe you can find a bit more room for Neesmith. I think T kind of muddles things up a little bit. You don't need that extra guard. And now we're on to the trade talk, Greg. I mean, this is what we're going to be talking about for, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks at this weeks, point? Uh, best time of year, a trade talk, a, a, lot of, a lot of smoke. And with the Celtics, there's usually no fire that comes with it either. I feel oh, like every, every, <laughs> every deadline, there's just no, there's always just, you know, a lot of talk from the Celtics, a lot of rumors, and then it just all ends in disappointment. So a podcast that released yesterday when everyone's listening, so Thursday, I did like um, a media member roundtable. So I got a few of the media guys together, and one of the questions I asked them was, who are your top three TPE targets? So some of the names, we had Harrison Barnes, Nikola Vucevic, Larry Nance Jr. was thrown in there. Um, who else was thrown in there? You know, names along that line anyway. I'm not going to try and remember all of them. <laughs> out of everybody that you've seen linked with Boston, and out of everybody that you kind of, you know, we all have our affinity towards players who we think would fit. Who would be your ideal guys? If you could choose three guys and then the Celtics could have their pick out of any three, who would they be? I mean, I, I think first I would love for them to get Vucevic because I feel like he is that big upgrade over center that, that they could could use. Because um, they, they just, again, Danny Ainge is on the record saying he wants a shooter with size. And I know Vucevic is having a career year. Uh, and I just think that he could, again, space the floor better for them, give them a better option shooting three, open up those driving lanes for, for Taylor Brown, and also give them a, a better presence defensively that they need, especially when going up against the Embiid's and, and Giannis and Adebayo's of the world that they're going to see in the playoffs. And Julius Randle, too, in New York. I know New York, you know, Flash, who knows if they're going to be there come playoff time, but. It's another player you, you got to watch out for. So I think Vucevic would be, you know, at the top of my list. I guess Harrison Barnes would, would be next, obviously, with Harrison Barnes. It's just basically the, the Celtics right now. I feel like they're looking for a replacement for Gordon Hayward because they had no plan once Gordon Hayward, uh, you know, got – Went went to Charlotte and they did a sign and trade with him. So I think Harrison Barnes uh, would be second. He's averaging like 16, 16 or so points per game. Would give them some shooting on the outside and, and could play, you know, either the three or the four. But again, he, he's not a guy that really moves the needle for me. Uh, and you know, Ainge again reiterated today they're probably going to use the TPE. In the off season, most likely not something that they're going to use mid season because they're hard hard capped at the moment. If you know, so it looks like that TPE is going to be used mostly in the off season. My absolute dream scenario is that, and this is going to take a lot of work, but they need to get Bradley Beal disgruntled in Washington. He's too he's too happy right now, and I think as you see with. Uh, other players in the league, what tends up happening is they want to go play with guys that they're close with and friends with. And, you know, the Tatum-Beal connection is obviously well known. And that might be a pipe dream for, for years down, you know, the road now when um, Beal becomes a free agent. But that, that would that's like my absolute pipe dream of the scenario is them somehow getting 
Bradley Beal, but I, I think that's all unlikely. But I don't know about you, Adam. I just don't know if the Celtics are able to pull off a trade. Who, what are they going to give up that other teams want? I feel like they have very few trade assets. Like, I think Rob – I know people love Robert Williams, and they, they want to keep him and see where this goes, but he's probably their best trade asset right now. Who wants a, a mid to late 20s first-round pick? It's not something that is going to entice teams to trade with them. I, I think they're going to probably have to give up either, you know, Pritchard or, or Neesmith if they want a, a bigger-name guy and throw in a, a ton of other stuff. I just – that's my thing with all this, you know, trade deadline rumors with the Celtics that, that they're involved with is who exactly are they going to give up in a deal that another team is going to want? That's the biggest question, right? I think everybody's got so caught up with the TPE that the notion of having to actually send guys back to make value to the other team has kind of been a, a secondary force. Um, I think you're right in terms of Rob Williams has probably got the highest trade value right now among the Celtics outside of Jalen and Jason. Um, Bobby Manning was on here recently. He made a point of saying, most likely Marcus Smart, if it's a big swing for offenses, then Marcus Smart's probably going to be one of the names that is banded around simply because his tradable value in the contract is an unrestricted free agent next year. So if you don't know how much, if you don't feel like you're going to be able to retain him in free agency next year, then perhaps you do the unthinkable and put him in a deal now. And then you've got guys like, like you say, Romeo, Aaron, um, and then Grant Williams as well. I mean, realistically, if you're trying to move on from some of these guys, it's going to be a package of a few of them, right? Like it's Aaron Neesmith and Grant Williams or Romeo and Grant Williams or Rob Williams and Grant Williams. It's going to... I feel like Grant Williams is going to be one of these guys that is in most deals because teams will value his IQ and locker room presence. And a lot of teams probably feel they can give him the minutes he needs at the small ball five to be a valuable option and a viable option. But in terms of like huge trades, like what we've seen recently for like guys like James Harden, the Celtics just don't have that treasure trove anymore. And it's all become depreciated assets in terms of Carson Edwards, um, you know, that's a depreciated asset. Is Romeo Langford doesn't have the value of a 14th lottery pick that hasn't been selected yet. You know, like saying we've got a pick that's guaranteed to end in the lottery. That's more enticing than a two a potential two-way wing that has struggled to stay on the floor. Uh, Neesmith probably has decent value because he's shown he can defend as well. So now he's not just considered a... Uh, a spot-up shooter is going to be considered a potential 3 and D guy, so maybe that gives him more value than when he originally came into the league. But it's going to be tough. They're really going to struggle to make deals, and I think there's going to be times where we question the pieces that are sent back out as well. I hope Tristan Thompson is in any of these deals that involve a big man, because otherwise there's just too much going out. But um, it's going to be a really bizarre trade. Whatever happens, I feel like Danny Ainge has got to be resigned, so he's probably going to lose the deal. He'll lose the battle to win the war. I think he's got to be resigned to doing that to make anything actually work. Yeah, I think I think if the Celtics do make a deal, I think it's going to probably be for for Barnes. Is probably the most likely candidate from just everything that's you know I've been reading that it's been flying around out there. Just he just seems like a guy that they wouldn't have to give up, you know, too, too much for with Sacramento. And I think he's lost like 11 of their last 13 or, or something like that going into the all-star break. And so, the, 
Oh, carry on. Sorry. So they—they're just you know that that would take less than say like a Nikola Vucevic, which I, Mark Stein reported the other night that the the Magic aren't willing to to trade him. So he's kind of taken off the table. So it's gonna be. Barnes is probably like the, the the best that they could get with what they have and use a little bit of the TPE and, you know, send some guys out too. So I was on a, a Sacramento-based podcast a few days ago and we were talking about Harrison Barnes trade deals. And the one that they, they um, put forward to me that I kind of liked was Harrison Barnes, uh, so Boston get Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes. And then um, Sacramento would get Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford, depending on which one got, they preferred at the time. Robert Williams, Grant Williams, and two firsts. How would you feel about that? That's, that's a whole lot for Barnes and for Rashawn Holmes. And I actually like Rashawn Holmes. I mean, I would say I would do that deal because give give as many i'm done with the celtics drafting picks or or hoarding on to picks get rid of i would be fine with celtics getting rid of all their draft picks from now until 2025 uh they they just they don't need any to draft any more guys they got enough draft picks you know send those picks out stop holding on to them you know their mid-20s draft picks at best they're not going to get you much even though peyton pritchard has proven that wrong you know this season um, I think I would I would definitely do that deal of just putting Rob Williams in there. Can we can we switch out Rob Williams and put Tristan Thompson in there instead? I tried this. They were having <laughs> none of it. They said if you don't have Rob Williams, then it's got to be both Romeo, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams, and two firsts. I mean, definitely, I'm fine with giving Romeo. I know that's going to break your heart there, but get rid of Romeo, get rid of Aaron. And it was Grant Williams and Rob Williams in the two picks. Uh, no, so if you don't send Rob, they want both young wings. Uh, this is obviously all hypothetical. So um, it's either Rob Williams and one of Aaron or Romeo, or both of Aaron and Romeo, but they want Grant Williams in either deal. I think too, if you if you're getting Holmes back, right, you're gonna have to ship out one of your bigs because now you just you just got another big, right? That is just gonna be you know clustered with Tice, Williams, and Thompson. I'd love to get rid of Thompson in that deal. Yeah, I'd do anything. Apparently, they don't want Thompson. They want Rob Williams. Um, I don't think Thompson would be happy. You sign with Boston as a potential contender, and you end up in Sacramento. Uh, that's yeah, just, that would. That's that would life not, not working out. Him. Yeah, that's life <laughs> not working out the way you planned. Definitely not. <laughs> that's but, what, but again, going to Disneyland and it raining all the time. You there, dude? <laughs> but again, that goes back to the Celtics, and people want Rob Williams because he has the highest, you know potential out of all their assets that they have it's like they don't have many assets like i know you're talking about grant williams with, with iq and i think everyone likes him he's a good locker room guy and you know does some nice things on the floor that probably goes underappreciated but what is he at best maybe like a sixth seventh eighth man off the bench and on a championship team like just everyone's going to want Rob Williams. And we know how Dan, Danny gets like attached to all these guys and his picks and all his assets. And if he doesn't want a deal, he's not going to, you know, trade it, not going to, you know, pull the trigger on it. So the, I think for them to get someone worth value, the other team's going to want Rob Williams back in return. And with all these shown and glimpses here, is Danny Ainge going to part with him? 
I think Danny Ainge is willing to part with absolutely anyone not named Jalen and Jason right now. And uh, so it should be as much as um, I think as much as Rob has the potential, if you know you can get someone like Rashawn Holmes in that's arguably a, um, one of the better non-star bigs at the moment, uh, especially this season, then you maybe you do that. I don't know why, but maybe. I do, I'm, I'm a bit torn. I haven't seen enough Rashawn Holmes to really be like, yeah, that's an upgrade. Oh, yeah, no, I've, I know. I remember I've like liking Rashawn Holmes when because he used to play for Philadelphia, right? I think so. I think he started his career in Philly. Like I remember watching him play his like early years in Philly. I'm like, ooh, I like this guy. Like he can kind of like shoot a little bit and do a little bit like you. I've not like I'm watching Sacramento Kings on the regular over here, um, but uh, the Celtics do face Sacramento coming up, so you know that'd be interesting. I wonder if that game's. I know they're facing, like I said, Sacramento before in like a week or two. I wonder if that game is before the deadline. What's funny is most people in Sacramento don't watch Sacramento games. So um, we're not alone here. I feel like most Kings guys probably don't watch the Kings too much. Well, how, how late would you have to stay up to watch a Sacramento game over in I England? can wake up for work and the games, <laughs> and it's the fourth quarter of a West Coast game. So, so Boston's facing Sacramento uh, March 19th, so about a week before the trade deadline. So that's that's going to be interesting um, to see if, you know, that's going to kind of be like a precursor to anything, if that's going to be like a, a tryout. I remember when Atlanta was in town uh, a few weeks ago, everyone was talking about how, how this might be a tryout for John Collins as Danny Ainge sitting courtside watching watching the game. But, you know, they, they face Sacramento that, you know, a week before the trade deadline. So maybe get a glimpse of some players who could help the Celtics out. And the final topic I want to hit on before I end this, I like to keep these to about 35, 40 minutes because it's a perfect commute time. Um, Definitely. What's your thoughts on the heat that Danny Ainge has been taking over the last few weeks? I just want to get your thoughts on this. I, I think some of it's justified. The The way the feeling is over Boston, and, you know, um, I, I like Brad Stevens. I like Danny Ainge. They've obviously put together a contender from for multiple years, won a championship, you know, almost now, you know, 13 years ago. But I think that's – in Boston, the way it feels, especially with all the success of the sports teams here, whether it's, you know, the, the Patriots and, and even the Red Sox this century, is one title is not enough. And I feel like people are like, when they talk about Danny Ainge, he has like a statue next to, you know, Red Auerbach in, in Boston. It's like that, that shouldn't be the case at all. They have one championship in his tenure here, which started like in 03. So I think that he's deserved. I think actually he should be on the, the hot seat. And I know, I know people aren't going to like hearing this, but I think Brad Stevens should be on the, the hot seat too. He's been here eight years, and I know he's taken them to Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm not saying, you know, fire him or, or anything like, like that, but I think a little pressure on these guys to, you know, make, make some moves and, you know, get some guys in here and, you know, kind of ratchet up the intensity a little bit to see if they can pull something out um, would do them some good. Uh, Danny, Danny has what the, the stack going around is he hasn't made like a mid season trade at the trade deadline since like 15 or, or 16, whenever he brought Isaiah Thomas in. So I think it, it's time to kind of, I think the, 
criticism of, of him lately has been, you know, warranted. Uh, I, I always go back to, I don't even think it was him. I think it was Whip, Whip Grossbeck who talked about, oh, there's going to be fireworks and, you know, we're going to get this team to, to a championship level. And, you know, there, there has been in certain respects, whether, you know, I would say probably minor fireworks, not grand finales, because they got Al Horford and they got Gordon Hayward and they got Kyrie Irving. But all those guys have left now. It's like all these big acquisitions and, you know, free agent signings that they made. Those guys aren't here, you know, anymore. And, of course, they drafted Jalen and Jason. Um, Jalen, I mean, those are are great picks, but those were also top three picks. I mean, that's not like a a super high level of difficulty. You still got to get the the pick right and, and credit to Danny for, you know, really zoning in on, you know, Tatum instead of Marco Fultz. And everyone knows in Boston here that Brown, when when he got drafted, got booed. And he's obviously turned out, you know, to be way better than I I expected. So I think, you know, their their jobs certainly are safe, but I think a little pressure on them is definitely not a bad thing. No, I completely agree. I do think that the, uh, I've been saying it's kind of like a pie chart, so there's definitely blame to go around. Um, Brad Stevens deserves some. I think Ainge deserves the most. But I also think there's some blame should be put on the players for not executing as well. Like, there's a certain level of commitment that you expect to see, and sometimes some nights it looks like these guys are coming out there just wanting to be back in the locker room or just dap it up with guys at the end of games. So I think it's kind of like a 60%... Oh, there's... The, I think it's like a 60% Danny Ainge, uh, a 25 I think your dog thinks it's Danny. He's trying to put some blame yeah, on Danny He likes Ainge to right make now, an so. appearance. He likes to make an appearance. Yeah. He's um, not a Danny Ainge fan. Of no, he's, he's a bit of a, what's the word? He likes, he's an attention seeker. So whenever he <laughs> hears me on a podcast, he feels like he has to be involved. Um, I think it'd be like 55, 60% Danny Ainge, uh, 15, 20% Brad, and then whatever's left is on the players because at the end of the day, they're only playing with what they can play with on the floor. Yeah, so, I, I agree with that. That sounds like a, a logical breakdown to me. I just think, you know, the the Celtics fans here in town have gotten, you know, this narrative kind of about them that they're kind of easygoing and everything's all, all right in Greenland. And you've seen that kind of change this season where the expectations were so high uh, with, with Tatum and Brown as this, you know, young star duo leading the team to potentially an NBA Finals appearance, or at least that was the aspiration. And for them to fall so short of that expectation here in the first half, granted it's been a crazy season coming off of, the, the bubble, but I think fans are starting to get, you know, frustrated with, you know, the, the lack of moves or not having a, a solid plan when it comes to, to Gordon Hayward leaving and, and things like that. So you can definitely feel more frustration with, you know, ownership, with Ainge, with Stevens than in past years. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's been definitely more prevalent across all social media platforms as well, which is um, it's always telling of what the general... I always use, like, I'll never just listen to what Twitter says to kind of get a consensus about what fans are thinking. But if you're seeing that on Instagram, Reddit, um, to a lesser extent, Facebook, um, if you're seeing that across all social media, then you kind of realize, like, hey, this is really a legitimate feeling of, like... um 
distrust and a little bit of frustration towards the ownership team and the front office and the coaching staff. You have to kind of be like, take a step back and ask yourself, where does this blame go and who gets what level of this blame? So I think we've broke that down quite well. Um, Greg, this wraps us up for today, buddy. I definitely want to bring you back on again. Um, I think this has been a great episode. Uh, before we go, you're no longer at Celtics Blog, but do you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Because you're still covering the team. You're a full-time guy in the locker room once the locker rooms are back open. Uh, I think everybody needs to know where they can find your work, man. So, yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing now for Brock Enterprise and Quincy Patriot Ledger. You can follow me on Twitter at GDoThat10. You know, have a link right in my bio that that leads to all my stories. And, you know, really, really loving the grind of, of this full-time NBA gig. I'm super happy for you as well, like legitimately. Like when I came in, you'd already been on Celtics Blog for probably about a year at that point, 18 months maybe. And to see you go from the same spot where I'm at to full time, as obviously you were doing stuff in uh, the Herald as well. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm really happy and I can't wait to see you uh, keep climbing the ladder until you're one of the bigger names in Boston media, man. I appreciate that. Um, thanks so much for having me on. This was a blast. And, you know, I always love following your work and, and seeing, you know, tweet at odd hours uh, at night uh, w- with the time difference. Yeah, I like to do that so then people wake up to these tweets instead of, uh, <laughs> I'm just up. Like, it's it's 10 a.m. here. There's nothing to do. So I'll just start tweeting. And be like, people will see it when they wake up, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or for us on the beat, we're, we're, you know, that's one thing I'm adjusting to is like, like with the with the beat you're up to like two three in the morning east coast time here so i I see him before i go to bed now oh okay (laughs) (laughs) right everybody listening if you've enjoyed this please leave that five star written review if you're not one for leaving written reviews please consider telling your friends friends not friends friends and family who may be celtics fans they might like this show i'll be back on monday I have no idea what we'll be doing on Monday, but I will be back. And until then, everybody stay safe and enjoy the weekend.